to us this morning. Amen. That's the way I feel sometimes that God put my batteries in backwards. <laughs> Amen. Are y'all supercharged and ready to go today? Y'all going to have to preach me. My throat's going out a little bit. Um, so I, I need y'all to say amen. That'll assist me some. But I think the word that God has for this house today is exactly what needs to be released. And I'm so thankful and honored to be in this house I could go on and on about how our lives are paralleled and how God has placed us together as friends and families and colleagues and all the things, but I can't honestly think of a better pastoral team that is any more committed, brilliant, innovative, long-suffering, full of grace, or any pastors, pastoral team that could be any better than what you have. And I hope that you honor them and cherish them. And I pray that you will hang on every word that God is giving them in this season. He is taking those who are willing to go from dimension to dimension. We are no longer in an era, and I'm going to talk about that this morning, of where we are just going incrementally from season to season. But we are going from dimension to dimension. And I don't know about you, but this year I have a passion. I have a burden for getting it right. I don't want to overlook a divine opportunity. I don't want to ignore a single instruction. I don't want to miss a miracle. I don't want to come away with heaven's manna still on the table. I don't want this to be another year where we, the people of God, get so caught up in the superficial that somehow we actually miss the supernatural. And maybe it's just me, but I yearn for the weightiness of the presence of God. I am weary of the arguments and the agendas and the distractions and the debates and the infighting and the uprooting that literally have stolen our focus and have snatched away our strength. This year in 2012, 2022, it used to be 2012, I don't want the church to show up last. But I am contending that we, the church, will actually show up first. We were not created to be reactionaries to the chaos of our culture, but we were designed by God to be prophetic forerunners that announce the agenda of the kingdom. And in case we have forgotten, that is our holy assignment. We are called by God to be the pace setters and not the trend followers. We are called to go into a heavenly realm and to receive prophetic words that have the power to change and shift our entire culture. And if so, that means that at some point, our prayer lives have to change. 
At some point, our prayer lives have to consist of more than us just going into a heavenly realm and making our own earthly needs made known to heaven. At some point, our prayer lives and our intercession should be us going into a heavenly realm and bringing back the will and the mandate of what heaven is speaking and bringing it back to earth. Words that will change the trajectory not only of our personal lives and our family, but of our entire culture. And the truth is God could accomplish everything he wants to accomplish in 2022 without our assistance. Isn't that humbling to know that God doesn't have to have us, but that God passionately longs for us. He doesn't need our permission. So many times we act like God needs our permission. God does not need our permission, but he longs for our cooperation. And that has been the heart cry of God since the first day of creation. He longs to intimately involve each and every one of us on what's on his prophetic calendar. From the first day of creation, he longs for us to be co-laborers. You know what the Bible is? It is 6,000 years of history a page after page and chapter after chapter and sentence after sentence of God inviting his people to be a part of what he is wanting to do. It is a historical account of God inviting us, borderline begging us to come up and receive revelation that would set into motion the things that are on the prophetic calendar of God. But the truth is he doesn't reveal that level of insider secrets to those who are stuck in status quo. He doesn't reveal those kind of insider secrets to those who are stuck in average or consumed by whatever it is the world's agenda is right now. But his eyes go to and fro in the earth and he's looking for someone, probably anyone, that will lean in and hear his voice. He's looking for anyone, someone who will grasp his plan and run with his plan. When God was ready to renovate the earth, doesn't that sound better than destroy the earth with a flood? Is there any way we could turn this fan off? I'm afraid I'm going to lose my voice just a little bit. No, just this one. Yeah, if you don't mind. Thank you so much. I feel like I'm at home. I can ask those kind of things. When God was ready to renovate the earth, he was looking for a man or woman that he can entrust to that holy assignment. Today, God is doing the same thing. He's looking, who can I entrust? Who is a a preacher of righteousness? Who is a man or woman of of God of holiness that I can actually share those insider secrets with? He called to Noah and he said, Noah, he said, I know this is going to be hard intellectually and emotionally for you to wrap your mind around, your soul around. He said, but I'm about ready to re Uh, a change to renovate the earth in such a way that I can't trust everyone with my plan. And Noah, I know that you're not going to understand everything I'm about to do or even why I'm going to do it. He said, I know you've never seen it rain. I know you don't know one thing about building an ark. I know you're not an architect. He said, but Noah, you're a man of righteousness. 
and all I need is for one man who's walking in righteousness, a man of integrity, a man of holiness. He said, I just want to know one thing, Noah. He said, are you willing to be a part of a plan that you can't even see? In 2022, God is looking. His eyes are going to and from in the earth, and he's calling to each one of us saying, look, I know you may not understand it. I know you can't see it all yet. I am just wondering whether you will be a part of a plan that you can't even understand. When God wants to change in the earth, release change. When God wants to do something miraculous, like a good father, he doesn't want his children to be spectators in the far remote part of the Colosseum. God looks down at his children. He doesn't want us to just be spectators, but he wants us off the bench. He wants us in the game. He wants to hear heaven announce our name and number, and God wants every single one of us in the starting lineup in 2022. This year, he's inviting us to experience his presence and power in a new dimension, but we will never experience, we will never fulfill that commission if we're swept away by our carnality, if we're consumed by doubts, if we're cast down in a bed of discouragement or a pit of discouragement, he's not just working in seasons anymore, but God is taking his people into a new dimension. He's calling us into dimensions that we've never been in before. And I promise that is more than slick Christianese phraseology. I believe those words with all of my heart that God is setting a prophetic alarm clock He's trying to wake us out of our bed of lethargy and he's leaning in and listening to see who will actually pay attention to the alarms that are going off in heaven. God is calling us higher, so much higher than what the cares of this life that have tried to whitewash our faith, higher so that we will have strength to possess the gates of our enemies, higher, so much higher that we will actually go to places where our enemies cannot follow. That's what I've been contending for. God, take me into a dimension, literally, where my enemies of my soul and the enemies of my, my assignment literally cannot follow higher than powers and principalities. And you may be saying, well, that sounds well and good, but I need more than kingdom rhetoric, right? I, I live in a real world, and I have real world problems, and maybe, maybe that's just part of the problem. Maybe in 2020 and 2021, we hit the pause button and we stop contending for our places in a heavenly realm and we morph our faith into something that could be used to calm the chaos of our culture and for the most part, we put to sleep our audacious dreams. And if you don't believe that, then grab maybe your prayer journal from 2018 or 2019 and Compare it with the prophetic dreams that you're contending for today. I mean, where are we? Where are we in contending for what is higher? You know, I know it's not this church, but I'm just going to speak to the church just for a second at large. That for the most part, what we've been through in the last two and a half years is we shelved the idea of claiming our cities and we retreated to our comfortable couches. Can I say it again? We shelved the idea of contending for our cities and we took a seat on our comfortable couches and our focus went from kingdom to culture and in the process we lost our appetite for the supernatural. 
We stopped hungering for things that we cannot see and things that we cannot explain. And we pushed back from the table of the supernatural and we pulled up a seat to what was predictable. And throughout church history, that seems to be the pattern of God's people. That instead of embracing difficulties as a roadmark sign that we're actually on the right road. What if we actually took adversity and said, you know what, I'm going to treat it like a marker that we're actually on the right page, that we're actually doing something right. That usually during adversity, for whatever reason, we would drop our dreams, we would abandon our assignments, and we would retreat into obscurity. And so as I was searching for a verse, which I don't normally do, I'll be honest, for this year, Personally, I needed to know that 2022 was going to go a little different. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. I, I needed to know. I needed a verse to hinge my faith on. I needed something tangible to plow my faith into. And so even going into 2022, I'm sitting in, in my theater room in January, and I said, God, can you just, just show me a verse, any verse, just something to hinge my faith on. And, you know, two places. I'm just going to be real transparent that I normally don't read. One is intentional, and that's the book of Job, God forgive me, and the other, and the other is the book of Revelation. And, and so I was turning to the sticky pages in the book of Revelation. Anyone else? Sticky pages of Revelation, and I've been reading in chapter 3 that parenthetical where God had been talking to, the, to John about the condition of his church, and he was kind of given a litmus test of all the things that the churches were doing right, all the things the churches weren't doing right, and all the in-betweens, and as I'm closing out chapter 3 and about to turn to chapter 4, it's as if God changes abruptly the conversation that he and John were in. How many of you have ever been in a conversation with God and you thought you were doing real good? <laughs> you were tracking with God, I'm following you, God, I'm getting this, we're on the same page, I'm receiving, and then it's as if you just, God slams on the brake and does an abrupt 180 and God's now in one conversation and you're still in the old conversation and you're like, God, I can't keep up. I thought we were talking about, but you now, and it's the same thing as we're leaving chapter three and verse one. I love this. God suddenly shifts the conversation and here's what I want you to hear today, that God gives John an invitation to come up higher, yes. to stand and see things in another dimension, Amen. a dimension that those in the heavenly realm could see and those in the earthly realm could not see. And four, I think you have my PowerPoint, maybe somebody, if not, we can. Four in verse one. I love these first two words. I could just, and I think any decent preacher could preach on these first two words till Jesus comes back home. Two of my favorite words, it says, and after this. Don't you love that? That means there's still more to come. That means God's not finished. God's not done. God has a plan B, C, D. There's still more to come. Yeah. And he said, and after this, I love this, I looked and behold a door standing open heaven and a voice speaking to me like a trumpet. And he said, come up here and I will show you what happens next? Isn't that powerful? Let me read it in a different translation. Then I looked, and oh, a door was open into heaven, and a trumpet voice called out and said, Ascend and 
enter and I will show you what happens next. Imagine the holy awe of being called up, invited to stand in the heavenly realm, to be given insider information on what's going to happen next. God called to John just like he's calling to our generation. He said to John, yes, there's been a whole lot of chaos. Yes, there's been a lot of confusion. Yes, there's a long list of the things the church hasn't gotten right yet. He said, but John, he said, never forget. He said, for those who are willing to come up higher, he said, there is a door in a heavenly realm, and it is standing wide open. He is calling, saying, if you will awaken from your lethargy, if you will lean in and listen to my voice, if you will turn off your CNN for just a moment, your Fox News, your MSNBC, if you'll turn off your Hulu for just a minute, your Netflix, you'll lay aside your dreams and rediscover mine. God said, if you'll get off your page and back onto mine, He said, if you'll answer my request to come up higher. He said, in the heavenly realm, he said, there is a door. And I love this. He said, it's standing right open. You're not going to have to knock on it. You're not going to have to take the hinges off of it. You're not going to have to push it open. But it is present tense. It is standing wide open. And he said, behind that door is a prophetic instruction for everything that is next. He said, all you have to do is ascend and enter. The things that have been sealed up will be open, and the things that have been locked away will be released. But for the most part, we have lost our divine anticipation. Trauma has morphed our dreams. For the most part, we are no longer hungry for epic, undeniable, sovereign moves of the Holy Spirit. And 2022, where is our appetite level for the supernatural? For things that we cannot see, things that we cannot understand, things that previous generations would have longed to experience. Where is our hunger? You know, my childhood was probably very different than yours, and in many ways, I hope so. After my family left Alabama, we went to Hopewell, Virginia, a tiny little city in the middle of, of nowhere. And there I lived in trailer number eight. Don't I look like a trailer number eight girl? I love it. I was in trailer number eight. And our trailer park was adjacent to a federal uh, penitentiary, which means we didn't get a lot of visitors where we live. And I remember that uh, it was a summer, I think, that, let's see, I was probably eight, nine, ten. And me and the neighborhood kids, we had gone to see epic blockbuster movies like Star Wars and Robin Hood and No, they weren't the original. I'm not that old. But we went to see the Blockbuster videos. And we came home and we were sure, we were absolutely sure after watching those movies that somewhere along the muddy Appomattox River buried in the forest that somewhere there was a kingdom. So from sunup to sunset, we would forge through the forest and we would look for this ethereal kingdom because we were certain that there was a kingdom in that forest. But an amazing thing happened after a few weeks of searching for the kingdom, our anticipation began to wane. You know, that holy excitement of discovering something significantly larger than ourselves, that that driving force, that, that wild adrenaline. And all of a sudden, we were haunted 
by a kingdom that we could not find. Can I say it again? We were haunted by a kingdom that we could not find. And, and so as our anticipation began to wane, uh, we grew cold. And so if we couldn't find the kingdom, then we resolved to build one because we were going to have a kingdom. And so our energy went from the quest of something majestic to the construction of something tangible. And we replaced this dream of a celestial kingdom with a kingdom that we could touch, one that we could see, one that we could feel, and one that we could bring our eight-year-old friends to. And when I look back at that faded photographs of those eight and nine and ten-year-olds, I thought how foolish we must have looked because at eight, nine, and ten, we took on the title of being a supreme architect. And through frustration and impatience, we substituted cotton sheets for concrete and sticks for steel and branches for bridges and dirt rocks for diamonds. And our frustration left us with what was convenient. And my frustration and my fear for the next generation is that through frustration, we would humanize what is holy that we would actually build a lesser kingdom, we would build a lesser vision, and that we would create these many kingdoms with our finite resources, and we would label ourselves self-made monarchies of our own individual kingdoms. And I know that's a little weighty this morning, but the truth is, if we're not careful, we will become so comfortable with the superficial that we no longer seek the supernatural. Can I say it again? We will become so comfortable with the superficial. It will become so ordinary that we leave off the quest for what is supernatural. What I pray that when you get home that today wherever you pray, and I pray that you have a designated place where you pray, that you would take your prayer journal and that you would make sure that there are things that are on that list that your natural mind cannot comprehend, things that your money cannot make happen, things that are so radical you don't even share those. They're so personal maybe with your prayer partner or even with your spouse. I believe in especially in the American churches that on our vision boards, on our vision plans, that alongside of the dreams that we can make happen, that there should be a list of how many blinded eyes we want to see open this year, how many dead people we want to see raised this year, how many drug addicts we want to see set free, a list of how many undeniable miracles. I mean, the American church should be known for more than how many rear ends do we want put in the seats this year. I want to know how many healed do we want in those seats this year. How many delivered do we want in those seats this year. The Holy Spirit told me early this year, he, I wrote it down, he said, he said, Tracy, we're approaching a season that I'm going to require my people to quiet their souls. I'm going to require that my people quiet their souls. And I can't fully explain the power of that expression or statement, but I know that the measure of the miracles that you and I will see will be linked to the hours, not minutes, but hours that we spend on our face in holy surrender. Because here's the truth. We don't have the strength in our physical body to carry out God's next move. The power of what is coming 
It's too great to be carried in the arms of carnality. It is too heavy. I admit in my physical body, I don't have the strength to carry out the next. If there is a part of me that is carnal at all, I need to be 100% invested so that I can be a part of carrying what God is bringing next. The glory of what is coming will not be conceived in carnality. It will not be born without birth pains. It will not be delivered by those who deny his power. And it will not be carried out by those who are unwilling to come up higher and to see what is next. We are living in an age to where we have to maintain our kingdom wonder. If for no other reason than for our children and our grandchildren, they must have, they must be in awe of kingdom wonder. And I'm not talking about Disney kingdom wonder. I am talking about heavenly, Holy Ghost kingdom wonder. Somebody say amen. We can't afford to wander off the path. We can't afford to miss the signs, the points of what is next. A few months ago, I think it's on my PowerPoint, I had a, a, a past a sign in Dallas that said Houston. And at first, I was a little amused by that, and I was feeling a little sarcastic that day. And I said, well, that sign's a little misleading because in my mind, I know where Houston is, and I know where Dallas is. And I know that Houston is about 239 miles south of Dallas. And I thought, that's a little misleading because if you're not from there and you take that sign, then you could easily, what, assume that Houston is just around the corner. But the truth of the matter is that sign is there as a reminder that there was a city south of me, right, that with my natural eyes, I couldn't see it. But the sign was a marker that for anyone who was looking to go to Houston, for anyone who wanted to experience Houston, for anyone who wanted to be on the right road of where Houston was, that that was the exit that they would need to take. Can I tell you, we don't need signs if we already know where we're going. We only need signs if we're going to a place that we've never gone before. And it concerns me because the church is no longer in awe of signs and wonders. And if you're not needing signs and wonders, maybe it's because you already think that you know that you know where you're going. We only need signs if we're determined to go to places that we've never been before. As for me and my house, we need signs and we need wonders of the Holy Spirit. You know, my prayer this year, it's been an odd prayer again. It's from the book of Job. I didn't even know there were prayers in the book of Job. But in Job 34, 32, Job said, teach me what I do not see. Isn't that powerful? I mean, Job comes in and he's in the thick of his own chaos and confusion and he comes to the place it's, it's almost like an I surrender moment and Job just says okay God just teach me what I do not see I think that's where we are as a whole God just just show us teach us what we do not see it's interesting because the moment that we think that we know what God's going to do you know what he does he makes a swift pivot and he goes in a totally different direction 
and he chooses to do the unlikely through the unpredictable. You can write that down. He chooses to do the unlikely through the unpredictable. But so many times our spiritual myopia, and I hope I'm saying that right, keeps us tethered to normal and we miss the supernatural. If you have myopia, which I do, I can see two to three feet in front of me, in front of me, but I can't see the objects in the back of the room. And it's not because they're not there, but there's just a bend in my focus that, that blinds how things are projected, and so I can't see those. It distorts my focus. And so in 2020, how many of you would say that you got things off of your checklist that if it weren't for 2020 that you would have never done? Maybe it was just me. But I went to the optometrist. I thought, well, it's a good time to get my... 2020, might as well get your vision checked. And so I went to this uh, new optometrist, again, never been to him, never even been to that side of the city. And, and uh, I fill out these forms, and, and I immediately go back there. He sits me in that chair and places those ugly four opters in front of my eyes, right? How many of you know that's not an Instagram-worthy picture, <laughs> right? Puts the ugly four opters in front of my eyes, and his first words to me, Pastor Bev, he said, oh, I see you're Irish. And I pushed back. I almost jumped out of that chair. And I said, what do you mean I'm, I'm Irish? And I said, that my ethnicity is not on my chart. You don't know me. I had to quickly ascertain whether or not he was a stalker or a doctor. And I said, what do you mean I'm Irish? He said these words. He said, I can tell your heritage by the shape of your iris. He said, your history is responsible for shaping your vision. And so he said, your history, it's in your DNA. It's responsible for shaping your vision. And I went home and did what every good research journalist did. I, I Googled it. I wanted to know if this guy was telling me the truth or not. And I found that there are over 2,000 different unique um, patterns. Do you have a cell phone or my cell phone's in my purse? Unique patterns um, that are more predictable, thank you so much, um, and how we see things in our fingerprints. And so that's in part the reason we're not opening our cell phones with our fingerprints anymore. Why? Because they're taking a digital retina scanner of our eyes because it's more predictable, right? So what is the scriptural point? My point is this, if we're not mindful that there are parts of our spiritual heritage that have bent the iris of our faith and it only conditions us to see what is directly in front of us and not generations deep. That's the reason you have to... You have to be in covenant relationship under the covenant relationship of those who are forming your spiritual heritage. Who is shaping what you're seeing? Is it maybe people, probably people, or prophetic people? Think about it. Who's shaping your spiritual heritage? One of the things I loved about Abraham and Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame heroes was that he was one of the leaders that was able to see generations deep 
Abraham didn't have spiritual myopia. He couldn't just see what was in front of him, but he was able to see the big picture. I want to be in covenant relationship with people that don't just tell me what's in front of me, but I want to be in covenant relationship with people that can help me see generations deep. Who's shaping? Who are you entrusting to shape your spiritual vision? I love it. Who were the, the two ladies that read Ephesians yesterday? Raise your hands. It was so powerful. They're it, not at this church. Okay, they're not at this church. Well, that's great. God brought you three women in this weekend to read a verse for your church that don't even go to this church. How about that? She's out of town. Well, there you go. So we had three women that yesterday read two of them, my scripture verse today, which I thought was powerful. And it's not a verse that you would normally memorize or know. And so I knew that it was a specific word for this house. When Paul wrote to the church of, of Ephesus, and many consider Ephesus to be one of the most significant churches in all of biblical history. And the thing that made um, Ephesus so powerful was they were in a, in a constant state of revival. And I don't mean an average revival, but a revival that was literally um, contending with the occult so much so that it resulted in the satanic idols and symbols being destroyed. And some of the greatest miracles in the entire New Testament happened at Ephesus. And it was the only church, if you can imagine, that Paul gave little correction to. Yeah. I mean, I told them in the earlier service this morning, can you imagine hearing that the Apostle Paul is sending your church a letter? Can you imagine the fear and trepidation that the Apostle Paul it's going to write your church a letter. I mean, I, I, I bet they were passing that letter off. Oh, no, you open it. No, you open it. You open it. You open it. If it's good, read it aloud to me. If not, go burn it. I don't want to hear it. I don't need to hear any more negative. But getting a letter from the Apostle Paul. I mean, what do you write to a church who's in such a, a chronic state of revival that the occult is being upended in the city? See, personally, I, I'm tired of of hearing churches say, oh, we're a revival church, we're a revival church, but they're not dethroning the power of the occult in their churches and their cities. Something's wrong with that equation. If we're really a revival church or epicenter of the uh, apostolic or prophetic, whatever it is, then we should be usurping the power of the occult that is in our cities. And this is what, this is what the church of Ephesus was doing. And so how do you even write to a people that seemingly have it all right or doing it right? Paul said these words. This is the verse that's been read three times in 24 hours. Paul said, I pray that the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul said, you're doing great. You're doing wonderful. He said, but there is so much more. He said, there is so much more. I know you're, you're doing better than most. I, I know you're doing great, but don't stop. There is so much more. He invited them to come up higher, to gain a, a level of revelation and knowledge of things that were to come. Throughout church history, we've read about the revivals. I know you have the Welch revival, um, the Azusa Street revival, the evangelical revival. But for revival to be sustained, it must be accompanied by a spirit of revelation. 
I mean, it's wonderful to say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come do what you will. But there is a deeper level that, that literally will give us the wisdom that will safeguard our steps to let us know, give us discernment on who's going to help me and who's going to hurt me. I know this church knows what the root word of revelation means to take the lid off, to tear the veil back. You know, the measure of the anointing that, that we carry is a reflection of the level of the anointing that we live in daily. Can I say it again? The level of the anointing that we carry is a reflection of the anointing that we live in daily, not just at the new year, not just at revival week, but what is the saturation of the anointing that we're living in every day? Every day do we arise above the noise? Do we ascend above the chaos? Do we go into a heavenly realm and actually receive prophetic words that have the power to change our entire city? Holy Spirit revealed to me, he said, Tracy, he said, for the next move to be carried out, he said, my people are going to have to be in total synchronicity. Total synchronicity with the Holy Spirit. I want everyone in here to do this simple thing. I just want you to snap. Great, perfect. Y'all did almost as good as the early service. Come on. That's good. You can stop. That simple act for the things that are coming next, for us to be able to mobilize them, to carry those out, we have to be in synchronicity. And that's the reason that when 2020 happened, that one of the chief goals of the enemy of our soul and of the church at large was to create utter division because he knows that if he dismantles our unity, then he has a foothold into what God is trying to do. He knows that his time is short, and the one thing that he is terrified of is that God's people, that his global church, would be in sync with what the Holy Spirit is saying and be in sync with each other. It's more than just being in sync with the Holy Spirit. We have to be in sync with each other, right? It's amazing that when they built the Tower of Babel that they were in such unity, one mind, one accord, much like the upper room, but, but they were secular humanists. They didn't know God. They were pagan. They were idol worshipers. But yet they were building something that God didn't even charge them to build, but they were so in sync with each other that God looked down and he said, you know what, we got to go in, we got we to we dis dismantle what they're building. When is the last time that God could look down and say that about his people? Come on. We have to be in synchronicity with the Holy Spirit. If our assignment is to change history, which I believe it is, we're going to have to have strategies that supersede earthly wisdom, plans that man cannot control, Plans that are born out of a prayer closet, solutions that come from living sacrificial holy lives. And I know that holiness is not a popular word, but it is a God word. It's a God word. It's so easy to stop believing in the promises and put our strategies into our own strengths. I'm going to say it again. It is so easy to stop believing in prophecies and to put our strength in strategies how many of you have been hanging on to a word from God for more than five years? Let me see your hands. How about more than 10, 15, 20, 25, right? Okay, that's most of us. It is so easy when you've held on to a word for decades. I promise you that God, there are those here, and if he didn't bring me here for any other reason, I promise you 
that God has not forgotten you. That if it is a true prophetic promise from heaven, your, his word doesn't get lost in the traffic of heaven. It's not like a letter that gets lost somewhere. Those words, if they're God-inspired, they are still there. They know where you live. They know your address. They know your family. They know your prodigal in prison. They know what's going on with your business. The answer may be taking longer to get here, but your miracle's still coming. I told them this morning, I said, I can't theologically prove it, but you can't disprove it, so I'm going to say it. Amen? Amen. And your pastor didn't correct me earlier, so I'm going to say it again. I believe that Elijah, you know, sometimes we are a, uh, we experience the byproduct of our own prophecies. He decreed and declared it's not going to rain for three and a half years. Guess what? It didn't rain over his house either. Come on. He went and said by a brook, there wasn't some little cloud that just followed him around and just rained over him. He was a product of his own prophecy. Three, three and a half years, no rain. Now, theologically, I can't prove it, but there's a part of me that believes the cloud that needed to rain, maybe it was a cumulus nimbus, I don't know, it was just floating around out there somewhere, that was accumulating rain, and it was waiting. That, that's, that's how some prophetic words are, yep. right? They're still, they're just right out there. Those prophecies are waiting to be activated, right? Someone that will activate that word. And it said Elijah, three steps, he had to, what we've been talking about coming up. It said Elijah went up the mountain. And when he was on the mountain, that he made the sacrifice. And once he was on the mountain and made the sacrifice, that Elijah prayed the prayer. And when Elijah prayed the prayer, that storm cloud moved into position. And all of a sudden, because one man prayed, it went from a famine to a flood. See, God didn't need Elijah to pray the prayer. God asked Elijah, how would you like to be the one that prays the prayer that makes it rain? I don't know about you, but I, this year, oh, God, let me pray the prayer that activates things in the earth. Let me pray prayers. Let me let words leave my lips that literally activate environments. What are you praying? How are you praying? Are you still praying meism prayers? What I think, what I need, what I want, what about me? Or when you go into your prayer chamber, are you releasing words that activate and alter environments? Yeah. A few years ago, I heard about a church who was experiencing a mega move of, of the Holy Spirit. I guess it's honorable to say it that way. I don't know how else to describe it, but when other churches in their area were dying, theirs was thriving, they were seeing... Tens of thousands of people, or at least thousands, saved, delivered, filled, financial miracles, physical healings, all of the things. And, and so I was so young and so green, I actually thought that there was a formula. Now, I don't discount that God doesn't work in patterns, and you don't have to have certain mixtures and equations for it to be combustible. You do. But I actually thought there was a formula. And so I, I had lunch with some of the board members, and I said, I want you to tell me. I said, what are you doing? Where are you sending your people to? What are you reading? How are you praying? Who are you having in to preach? What's making this an epicenter for revival? What's different about your church versus their church? And, and he said the strangest thing. He said, well, I don't think we've been doing anything different. He said, the only thing that I can pinpoint is we've been praying out of the book of prophecy. 
And I said, the book of prophecy, I said, who wrote it? How can I get it? I'll order them by the hundreds. If it's, if it's working on this scale, I want it, I need it. Where is it? And he said, oh, no, it's not a book. I said, you just told me it was a book. I said, I'm confused. What is it? Is it a book or isn't it a book? And he said, it's actually a ledger. And he said, since the formation of our church, and I don't remember if it was 90 years, 100 years, it was a long time, he said, we documented every undeniable prophecy that was made over our house. And he said, we've replicated it. We have it on public display. And he said, our people, he said, we systematically pray over the prophecies that have been spoken over our church. And he said, now we're seeing those, those prophecies come into fruition. And he said, we refuse to go, fall into the trap of going with the latest trend. He said, it's not that we didn't incorporate modern technology because we have. And somehow I think that we've been lied to, right? That we either have to be a progressive, quote, progressive church that is full of just modern technology or, right? A church that is spirit-led. And can I tell you that you can be both? Because God is the author of wisdom. He is the author of technology. He is the author, supreme author of innovation. And you don't have to have a line item selection between the two. That you can be innovative and be spirit led. Somebody say amen. Don't fall asleep on me. Listen. Let me give you an example. If you can put my little granddaughter on the screen. She should be. Okay. What do you say? Oh, she's the best. She is the best. And so for her, she was about two there. She's five. Now you can take her down because I'll look at her. She's so, and the whole time. So take her down. She was about, take her down. She was about two there. And uh, she had what she called a tragical moment. How many of you have grandchildren? You know what I mean? This is a tragical day. Her father upgraded his iPhone. And so the kind that you had the push button at the bottom and all of a sudden, he upgraded it, and that little button wasn't at the bottom, so she didn't know how to navigate to get around to her apps. And, and so he tried. She kept coming to him and saying, Daddy, your phone's broken. Your phone's broken. I can't get to my stuff. Your phone is broken. And he started to tell her, no, baby, it's not broken. There's an upgraded operating system. And then he thought, okay, she's intelligent, but she's still too. I don't think... And she... He kept saying, no, baby, my phone's not broken. And she's, Daddy, your phone is broken. It's broken. I can't get to my stuff. It's broken. And finally, he said, if you'll just calm down and come sit by me, if you'll just come up here, if you'll just come up here and, and sit by me, he said, I'll show you how to get to your stuff. And she sat by him, and over and over he showed her the steps of how to get to her stuff methodically. And he patiently showed her until she mastered the upgrade. In a similar way, I think for the last two and a half to three years that we've come to the father just like the granddaughter, and we've been saying, Father, I don't know if you know it, but your world is broken. Your world is broken. I can't access my stuff. I, I can't get to my stuff. Somebody hijacked my stuff. Somebody hid my stuff. It's not working like it used to, and I can't get to my stuff. He said, I have an upgraded operating system that I need to, I'm, I'm going to take you out of that season and I'm going to put you in a dimension. But for you to flow in that dimension, I need you to come up here and sit by me and let me show you how to work 
and that dimension. In the middle of chaos, I'm going to show you how to flow in a new dimension. He's given us two choices. We can keep doing things the way we've been doing them, or we can lean in and listen. How many of you would admit there's a prophetic order to everything? Come on. As much as Elizabeth and Zachariah would like to have had a child, I think she was 88 and maybe he was 99, and I'll say it politely, God shut off his seed and sealed off her womb so they couldn't have a a prophetic child. And it's amazing when God has given you a prophetic promise, but yet he shuts down everything, right? The operating system, again, is shut down. In their case, it was physically... And I think about how absurd it would have been for John the Baptist to have been born a hundred years prior to the birth of Jesus or a hundred years past the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Why? Because the Bible said that he was foreordained to be a forerunner to the Messiah. That means there was a narrow window of time when he was literally assigned to anybody at all to be in that prophetic window. And in much the same way, we can grow weary in our barren seasons. I think about all the mothers. We don't have time to unpack it. There is a temptation in our barren seasons to birth things out of our own strength. I think about the women, Elizabeth, Sarah, Hannah, Rachel, the mother of Samson. It would be a statistical anomaly for them to have one common thread woven throughout their lives as they were all mothers whose wombs were sealed off and shut down, but God had charged them with giving birth to prophetic sons. Think about that for a moment. They all had the familiar thread. They were called to give birth to prophetic sons, but they had to endure barren seasons. God sealed off their wombs not because he was judging them. Someone needs to hear that this morning. He wasn't sealing off their wombs because they were judging them, but because they had reserved their room for something prophetic. It wasn't judgment. He said, I'm just sealing off your womb for something prophetic. I was telling a pastor earlier this week in another state, I said, if you were to offer me right now a church of 10,000 average, or you were to average, or you were to offer me a church of 250 special ops, I would take the 250 special ops any day. These women I just lifted, listed off, God reserved their wombs. Here's what He reserved them for so that they could conceive, carry, and deliver prophetic children who would change history. They weren't carrying average. They were given the holy assignment of birthing prophets, priests, kings, and warriors. See, not every house is the same. Not every spiritual house is the same. You're sitting under generals in this church. These are five-star generals. And I'll speak for them. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they're not interested in raising average spiritual children. They are interested in raising and birthing and caring and delivering and training special ops, prophets, priests, kings, and warriors. But we have to endure seasons of barrenness. Seasons of barrenness. I'm at the place. I I will be your biggest cheerleader, your biggest fan. I will coach you. I will be your midwife. I will be all the things. But I'm also at the place 
in my own spiritual life to where I don't care how big the business deal is in my own life. I don't care how lucrative the book deal is. It doesn't matter the size of the stage or the size of the platform. Those things don't move me. I have to ask myself one question. Is my spiritual womb reserved for something that is holy? Is my spiritual womb revealed for something that is holy? I want a legacy that will change nations. That's what I'm contending for. A legacy that will change nations. And I know in our culture it's easy to fall into the trap of comparison. And it may be whether it's in church or business or in our own personal lives or whatever it means needs to be. But there are things that will work for those who are unholy that will not work for us. Can I say it again? There are things that will work. When Hannah was trying to conceive one prophetic child, you know what was happening? Her enemy was having children on every side. And that is a hard place to be when unholy people, toxic people, unholy platforms are raising up things all around you, but yet your womb sealed, seems sealed off. And God told me a long time, if you want average, have at it. But if you want something that is prophetic, baby, you better get ready to wait. He said, because what you're carrying is not average. When you're intent on prophets, priests, kings, and warriors, imitations won't satisfy Prepackaged sermons won't work. Franchise church in a box. It may grow their house, but it will destroy a prophetic house. There is coming a day, and I think we're already there. I think it happened at J1. This is just my opinion of this year. Just my opinion. My assessment, I think, is a better word. Though we're living in a time where January 1, something significant happened this year where God said, that's enough. And he began to shut down the superficial he began to shut down the superficial. If you're marked by God, and I say these words with great gravity, knowing what they mean. If you're a marked church, if you're marked personally by God, you will always be pursued by supernatural forces. There will never be a slack day in your life where your future and your destiny and your children's children's destiny will not be fought over. That's the reason we have to know who is coming for us, not just who's recognizing what is happening on our life. David was a little shepherd boy, but all of a sudden prophets and priests began to show up his house. Why? Because they could discern there was something significant about David. But the problem was they were sending him to the right place, but they had ulterior motives and why they were sending him there. We have to check ourselves not just who's saying the right thing, but what is the motive? Why are they attracted to us, right? Why are they attracted to the anointing that is on the inside of us? When I was 10, I said I was living in rural Hopewell and Trailer 8, so vivid in my mind. I was a bored 10-year-old. I'm that old. We had boring days at 10. And I'd get on my little bike, and my job was to go to the about a mile down the gravel dirt road and get the mail. We had a trailer park mailbox that looked like Blue's Clues. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Hundreds of pieces of mail. My job was to go through it, find anything with our last name on it or anything that, that I thought I wanted to take out of it. And so I, so girl, I, uh, 
I went home and I was flipping bored 10 year old looking through that ministry magazine and I think it was the first time in my life I experienced righteous indignation. And I saw a picture in there and I cut it out. It was a man, a bearded man. He was holding a cross, a crucifix, and impaled on it was a large frog. And the caption underneath the frog said, He died for your sins. Then I was livid. How dare you put a, a, a frog, a toad on the crucifix and liken it to my Jesus. So I cut it out and I placed it on my 10 by 10 bedroom bulletin board. And it was a few months later that I uh, told you we lived near federal prison. We didn't get a lot of visitors. And there was this knock at the trailer door. And one of the adults went and opened it. And they came into my room and they said, there's someone here that would like to meet you. Bored, curious, 10. I walked into the living room and there seated on our trailer couch was the bearded man who had been holding the crucifix. And this is predates the internet. I'm that old. Predates the internet. And he said, I heard you have a picture of me. Can I have it? And my heart about fell into my stomach and I had one question. How in the world did he find me? How in the world did he find me? And can I tell you, if you're marked by God, there are two kingdoms that are coming for you, your house, your church, and your children. Is that to put you in fear? It's to do the opposite of put you in fear. God does not design us to live in fear. Not in fear. But that lets me know two kingdoms are coming. So that lets me angel up. That lets me angel up. That lets me pray up. That lets me assemble God's army up. I'm ready. If you come in for me, we're ready. We're ready. Listen, we're living in a culture where we must discern who's following us and sending us. I can't say that enough this morning. When God met Moses out in the desert, he gave him the holy invitation. I like that. It's an invitation. It's what he's giving every one of us, a holy invitation. And he said, I'm going to give you the holy invitation of leading out three and a half million people that have been in captivity and bondage. And can you imagine the aha moment, the the mundaneness of Moses, who for 40 years, that's four decades, I get bored just reading his day-to-day Moses would wake the sheep up, water the sheep, feed the sheep, deflee the sheep, defend the sheep, and put those sheep to bed, right? I told them earlier, try saying that ten times in a row. The monotony of the same unspiritual thing when he had been called by God and had a mark of God on his life. And God appears to him and God says, look, I've marked you since inception. I'm ready to use you in a, in a new dimension, in a, in a new prophetic dimension. And Moses begins to make all the excuses. And maybe that's someone here this morning. He said, I'm an ex-con out here hiding out in a murder rap. God said, I know who you are. Moses said, you got the wrong address. He said, no, I, I got your address. I know where you are. He said, I know who I'm coming from. Moses said, well, look, I don't know any of this prophetic lingo. I don't know how to flow in any of this. All I do is watch sheep. You got the wrong guy. I'm older. I've been watching sheep. God said, if you will just follow me, I will teach you how to flow in a new dimension. He said, I'm not just moving you into a season. I'm moving you into a dimension. 
And he said, if you'll just begin to follow me, he said, I already have someone that's making their way to you that will show you, that will teach you, that will train you how to flow in the realm of, of the supernatural. And we all know what happened when he got to Egypt. But I'll shorten it for time's sake. One of the things that struck me as God said to him, and I'm paraphrasing it, he said, Moses, if you will follow me, he said, you will go from keeping sheep to commanding kings. Boy, that's all in me this morning. He said, you'll go from keeping sheep to commanding kings. When we follow the Holy Spirit in a new dimension, we'll go from doing average to flowing in a, di- a dimension that we can't even comprehend. If we'll come up higher, we'll stay seated in heavenly places. See, I don't have time to deal with the five people and their carnality that are giving me trouble. I just don't. I need to be seated in heavenly places. I don't need to hear all the horizontal conversation about all the political stuff, even though I'm very aware. Listen, there's a difference in being aware and not being seated in heavenly places. I can be aware and be seated in heavenly places. Come on. I don't need all the horizontal conversation. What do you think? Well, here's what I think. Here's what the news think. Here's what they think. Here's what, 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 what. I need one thing, and that's to be to come up higher and to be seated in a heavenly place where I can see what God sees, where I can hear what God hears, so I can activate and live in a realm. Not from a horizontal view, but from a heavenly perspective. That's where I want to live. That's where I am intentional on living. I'm going to tell you one wrap-up story, and then we'll be done. We don't have a worship team, maybe a soundtrack in a little bit, if you'll have them have it ready. Maybe I shared this story here, so I'm going to repeat it, because I was praying and I felt that I should. I was thinking this morning how to give you the the greatest concept, natural application of some very weightier spiritual things this morning. And I was praying, the story came to mind, it was a true story, it happened to me. When I was living in, um, in Arkansas many years ago, again, predated cell phones, that I got a call from our mutual friend, Rosemary Green. And Rosemary said, she calls me Doc, Dr. T, Dr. Tracy, she said, uh, she said, you have five minutes? And I said, no, Rosemary, I'm really busy, I don't... And I said, she said, please, can you just take five minutes? She said, it'll be worth your time. It'll be good. You need to hear this. And I said, okay. And so she patched in a lady I'd never met. Her name was Dorothy. She lived in the CD subculture of the south side of Chicago. And Dorothy began to tell me her story. She said, months ago, she said, I'd been praying. She said, I'd been praying the same prayer for at least a year. She said, I served the church. I was an intercessor. I cleaned the church. I tithed to the church. I sowed seeds to the church. She said that Sunday morning, months ago, she said my, my uh, pastor began to preach on radical faith and how God would take us into a different dimension within our faith. She said that Sunday I came up and she said I placed my seat on the altar and she said I left my, my two children, I think it was two. She was a single divorced mom and she left her children with her sister that Sunday morning. She said I just need to get away and I just need to pray and so she got in her car and she began a prophetic drive. How many of you know what I'm talking about where you just start to pray and you get caught up in the Holy Spirit in maybe 30 minutes or two and a half hours and you're just caught up praying in the Holy Spirit? 
She said, I was on one of these prophetic prayer drives that, that Sunday after church, and she said, I noticed, she said, all of a sudden I came to, I became very present. She said, I noticed that my gas needle wasn't above the red line or touching the red line, but it was beneath the red line. And she said, I was in this neighborhood part of Chicago. I don't even know if it was still Chicago. She's telling me this. She said, I was so lost. There's no way I could even find my way to a gas station. And she said, I was in this neighborhood. It was middle to a little bit lower affluent neighborhood, middle to upper. And she said, I, I knew that I had to ask for directions. And no GPS, of course, at that time. Didn't have a map. Pulled down into this cul-de-sac and out to the left-hand side of the road, she saw a little house. She felt in her spirit that it was a safe house, and so she went and she knocked on the door. The little old man came to the door and asked, could he help her? And she said, sir, she said, I just, I don't mean to be a bother. I just need directions. I'll be out of your way if you could just draw me a map or point me in the right direction. He said, why don't you come on in? He said, my wife's right here. She'll make you a glass of sweet tea. And he said, I'll draw out the map. You just tell us where you're from, and we'll, we'll try our best to get you there, at least to the gas station. So they began to talk, and he said, well, how did you end up on our side of town? She thought, what a loaded question. What am I going to say? I've been praying in the Holy Ghost for two and a half hours, and I'm lost. She said, well, I, I, I'm just coming from church. He looked at his watch. She said, well, I've been praying after church. And he said, oh, you're a believer. She said, yes, sir, I'm a believer, and so... As she's making the tea and he's drawing the map, they begin to talk about spiritual things. And 10 minutes went to 20 and 20 went to 30. And she said, thank you so much for your hospitality. But if, if you'll just draw that map, I got to get back to my children. I'll be out of your way. And she said, as he's sitting there drawing the map, she said, the presence of the Holy Spirit just dropped in the room. And it's tangible way. She said, I can't even explain to you. It just fell. And the man, the old man, he just began to whirl up with tears in his eyes, and he looked at his wife, and his voice slightly trembled, and he said, Honey, I think the woman that we've been waiting on has finally arrived. I think the woman that we've been waiting on has finally arrived. I think the woman that we've been waiting on has finally arrived. And she said, What do you, well, well, what do you mean? And he said, if you look around our house, you can see that about 80, 90% of our things are boxed up, they're labeled. And he said, the truth is we have a, a house on the other side of town that we made a solemn commitment with God, a covenant with God, that we wouldn't move into that house until we gave our house debt-free, paid in full to a family that would serve God and raise their children and the fear and admonition of God. And he said, today we think they found the woman that we've been waiting on. And she told me, she said, a few weeks ago I just left the title deed office with the keys to my new home, new to her, debt-free, paid in full. Then you may be saying, well, Tracy, that's a nice little wrap that every evangelist tells a story before they close. Well, those type of miracles really happen to me. According to your faith, so be it. According to your faith, so be it. According to your faith, so be it. What realm are you living in? 
Are you coming up to a different dimension? Are you seeing things as God sees it? The enemy of our soul, he is threatened by the idea that we will regain our holy anticipation. He is terrified that we'll wade out of the waters of shallow and into the deep. He is threatened that we will actually be holy and powerful and that our souls will be dissatisfied with small dreams. Let me ask you, how will your 2022 be different spiritually or will it? We're in the fourth quarter of this year. How will you exit this year? Will it be any different than any other year that you've lived? Will we keep living in the chaos of our culture, the backwash of the chaos of our culture? Or will we become so kingdom-minded that irrespective of the horizontal conversation that's going on, that we will only hear and we will only see in a heavenly dimension what God is actually doing in the earth? Where is our perspective? Where is our context? Stand with me this morning, please. Father, we thank you. Raise your hands with me in this place this morning. Pastor, I don't know how you want us to transition, if you want me to give it back to you or if you want me to just begin to pray in this place. Raise your hands. Just begin to raise your hands in this place. Extend your hands in faith. When I want to hear you pray. If I can preach for a solid hour. Come on, this is a prayer-filled church. I want to hear you pray for five minutes. Let me hear you pray the Holy Spirit. Begin to ask God to give you the context of what is going on, not in the culture, but in the kingdom. Begin to tap in to see things in a heavenly realm, in a heavenly dimension. Ask for him to reveal things in a different dimension, in a different parallel. Come on, begin to raise him up. Raise him up. If you'll... Come on, raise him up. As the worship begins, come on today, if you're intentional, if you're intentional today about moving into a place that you've never moved before, as they begin the worship, I want you to take a step out of your seats. Come on right now. If that's you, begin to make your way down here this morning. Come on. If you want to go into a realm that you've never gone, if you want to tap into a place that you never have before, if you're intentional about seeing things from a heavenly perspective, come on, keep praying. Don't lose intensity. It's a spirit-filled, on fire, Holy Ghost church. Don't lose your intensity. Come on, everybody, take a few steps forward. Come on. Come on, keep praying. Keep moving forward. I believe God is going to do, he's going to unlock this morning. Come on, signs, wonders, miracles.
our desires. Yes, just to be close to you, Lord. Just to be close to you. Just to be close to you is my desire. Just to be close to you. Just to be close to you. Just to be close to you is my desire. Just to be close to you. Just to be close to you is my, is my desire. Just to be close to you. Just to be close to you. Just to be close to you. Yes, God, 
Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we praise you. Wow. Holy Spirit, once again, we're in awe of you. We are in awe of you. We are humbled by knowing that we have been in your presence. And we are ever grateful for the fact that when we leave this place, we won't leave your presence here. Hallelujah, but we will take it with us where we go. Just to be close to you, Lord. It's the cry of our heart. It's our passion. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. You know, I don't want to break from the place this Holy Spirit's doing right now, but we have to get her to the airport in a little bit to catch her plane. But I know you're mature vessels in this room, so you know how to take what's been deposited and bring it home and stay in this place spiritually speaking she said come up higher the lord said come up higher ascend one of the translations said ascend we want you to take this with you but before we transition from this service would you be seated for just one moment and i'm going to try to hurry and share this if you are interested in any of her books there's only a few left but there's a few books on the back table. One of them is hot off the press. She just got it in this week. But they're on the back table. You can take advantage of that before you go. The hard cover is $25. The soft covers are $20 apiece. And um, we are going to receive a love offering for her ministry. Many of you give online. If you're giving in person, if I could get someone an usher to grab a basket and come, uh, that we could receive an offering for her, make it payable to Praise Church. We will give her one check from our ministry. And um, if you could uh, sow, we, we have received. She has come here and she's ministered and poured her heart out yesterday and today. I was receiving texts of people that have never been slain in the spirit before, but they were slain in the spirit. In her meetings, we had people baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. Wonderful, wonderful meetings that we've had. And you know, we want to be a blessing and sow back into her life. She and her husband are each in ministry. He's preaching somewhere else today while she's preaching here. And she She'll be flying back to Dallas, and she's already got a hectic day tomorrow meeting with publishers for a new book that's coming out as they continue to spread the gospel ministry. I encourage you to look her up online at tracymitchell.com, connect with her, listen to their ministry that comes out. They've got a lot of uh, videos and ministry uh, available for you to receive and to receive an impartation from i also know that a lot of you a lot of times after church want to speak to us and you might want to speak to the guest we only have a few minutes today which is not normal but you can reach out to us online 
or if you have our numbers, call us. But we need to make sure somebody can help with the products. Ida or somebody back there help with her products. We got to pack up whatever's remaining and grab her a bite to eat on the way to the airport. So if you could help us with that, we appreciate it. Thank you for being here. Father, we just have received from you today. And as I said a few moments ago, we are humbled. We're humbled by the outpouring of your spirit once again and for the way you've touched us. Now, Lord, I ask you that you take